Hi guys, it's it's just Pete today rather than Pete and Mike. Mike is otherwise engaged. Um, I'm joined by Rob Cooper, MD of the BSSA for the last two and a half years. Hey Rob. Good morning. Um, and Eric Partington. Nice to see you, Eric, again. It's been, um, well, I met you again at the BSSA event as we do every year. Mm-hmm. Eric is a consultant for the Nickel Institute, been with them for around 20 years now. Yes. Showing your age now, Eric. Oh, <laughs> that's visible. <laughs> um, and we're going to be talking today. There's, um, there's an industry event that is going to be put on next year in Warwick, uh, just south of Birmingham. There's stainless steel in the food industry. That's the, the title of this event that's going to be put on. So we're just looking to kind of create a bit of a buzz, a bit of hype about what's going on and talk a little bit more in detail about why you've decided to put on this first of a kind industry event for the food industry. So um, it was really wordy by me there. But um, yeah, Rob, would you give us a bit of background? Why did this come about? How did, how did this kind of happen? Okay, well, actually, we sat together at the BSSA conference and dinner last year and Eric myself and Benoit van Hecke from the uh, Nickel Institute, uh, we're discussing the food industry and the use of stainless steel in that industry overall. And probably we, well, we decided that there was a distinct lack of communication and probably a little bit of lack of knowledge at the moment. And also there have been a number of, of changes within the legislation also that, um, that, that we were probably missing. So... We, we got together and we thought it would be a damn fine idea to uh, mm. to try and uh, you know give people a bit more guidance and a mm. bit more help in that industry. Well, it seems like you know a pretty bold one. You go in for all the big boys, the major food companies within within the UK. We're looking for people internationally as well, or just the UK. As as far as the BSA is concerned, our our focus is always on the UK and Ireland. But let's be perfectly honest, if people are interested and people want to come, then they are welcome, very welcome. So, Eric, obviously you've been working with Rob and known Rob for many, many years now. What were kind of your thoughts on on what Rob's just kind of mentioned there with maybe this little bit of a a lack of understanding about maybe some of the applications and the benefits of using stainless in, in the in the food sector? Because I'd just assume that things are specified, so you just use what's on the drawing. You know, am I wrong here? The, the problem is that what gets written on the drawing isn't necessarily the, the optimum choice of stainless steel. Uh, the industry may not appreciate it, but there are hundreds of different stainless steels, uh, and probably 20 of them are in use on a daily basis in the food industry. And there's a reason there's a range, because some of them have greater corrosion resistance than others, but they're more expensive. So what we need to do is to to help people to choose the right stainless steel, which does the job, but isn't over-specified and over-priced. And we find that people honestly don't know where where to start. Uh, I also work with an organization on behalf of the Nickel Institute uh, called the European Hygienic Engineering and Design Group. And that's a group that studies how to manufacture the equipment, how to fabricate the equipment of the right material and so that it's hygienic. And uh, that's an international organization. And I know that the, the, the same problem exists in many countries. People just don't know what they don't know. Yeah, no, I understand. I'm assuming we've got a lot of stock in the UK and a lot of stock specific for the food, dairy, bev industry. It's all, it's all there. It's being used daily. All the big boys are pushing that out. So 
are they, are they stocking the wrong material? I mean, I might be sounding like I'm being controversial here, but like, is, are we doing things wrong or is it just a kind of, actually, maybe we need to look at, at different options? I don't think we're doing things particularly wrong. I think that there is a certain amount of over-specification and I also think there is a certain amount of under-specification. And I also think, and I was talking to a business just, just yesterday, and, you know, they, they have certain mixing vessels and, and, and mixers that are required, but they're producing all their shafts from either 304 or 316. And they're not thinking about the potential of a material, you know, maybe a martinacitic grade of stainless steel that's actually more sturdy and probably will last better and last longer than their uh, than their standard 304 or 316 grades. So I think there is, again, it's this not lack of understanding, well, yeah, a little bit of a lack of understanding of the best product for the best application. And we're not talking about any exotics here. We're talking about fairly standard materials, but using them in the right application in the right place. So what are people just typically using? I mean, again, look, for people that are listening that are in this sector, forgive me for dumbing this down slightly, but just for those that don't know who'll be listening in, what what are the grades that are typically being used in this in this sector, Eric? Oh, the most common is, yeah. is 304, which is 1.4301. The most common grade used in the food industry is, is 304, what people know as 304. And it's an excellent material. It's a very versatile material, and it's, it, it's got a good corrosion resistance. It withstands temperatures. It's formable. It's weldable. But it's not necessarily got the corrosion resistance that might be needed for a particularly aggressive environment. And so people say, oh, there's, there's a better one than that, 316. But that's where it stops. Mm. They, they, they know a 304 and if you've got a bit of a corrosion problem, you move to 316. Yeah. That's not quite the answer because sometimes you need to go beyond that. Uh, if, you're, if you're processing a food like a mustard or, or tomatoes, which are fairly acidic or, or, uh, or even fish or meat, you sometimes need to go beyond that. And there are a whole range of stainless steels beyond 316 with even greater corrosion resistance. But they're more expensive, inevitably. Mm. It, it's like buying a car. If you if you want just to go shopping, don't buy a Ferrari. Yeah. Buy the car. <laughs> buy the buy the the material you need with the performance you need, but no more. Yeah. Uh, and I I've met at, at shows companies who very proudly say that the cabinet for for the, which has all the control equipment for their their machinery, it's a three or four stainless cabinet. And I say, why? You don't even need the corrosion resistance. Of, of three or four, buy, buy a cheaper stainless steel. And they didn't know there was one. So it, it's just a matter of, of saying to people, look, there's a whole range out there. There's a whole lot of advice. Please come and use it. And, and we can save you a lot of money and a lot of effort in the long term. Rob, have you got any kind of, because um, you mentioned a little bit earlier, but any kind of case that is anything more recently that you've been working on or you've been speaking with in this particular sector, where, again, the things Eric's alluding to have been fairly apparent to you, I mean, there's there's loads of examples out there, and these are the sorts of things that we get as the BSSA on a on a I'm not going to say on a daily basis, but on a very regular basis. Yeah. Uh, well, we find that there are either installations that are going wrong. You have corrosion problems there because the material hasn't been specced correctly. They haven't understood some of the issues there, and it's not always what's going through 
or what's been mixed in the stainless steel or going through the stainless steel pipe work. It can also be things like the cleaning regime and the fact that they, you know, that the cleaners come around and, and wash everything down with the bleach solution or, or something quite uh, corrosive and not clean it off afterwards. So, you know, it's understanding and it's not just a matter of specifying the right material, but you've also got to think about the regimes, the cleaning regimes, the maintenance regimes that are in place as well. You know, again, an example that uh, that I've seen quite recently is uh, of the framework for a vessel, which the vessel was 316 stainless steel. But they built all the frame out of 316 stainless steel, but that was not in contact with any of the product and was in a relatively... Um, was it a uh, fairly ambient environment? Yeah, a fairly ambient environment. Yeah. So you didn't actually need a 316 frame. So, you know, there was an opportunity there for them to reduce the cost for the, well, the, for the fabrication, but potentially reduce the cost for the end user. Well, I mean, this is why you, you see cladding being used so often, don't you? Because it's like, you know, let's just use a, a cheaper material, just clad it to the right spec. That's it. Sometimes you only need a few microns across the top, don't you? And you're, uh, you're away, really. But what I'd like to move on to is um, legislation changes because this is often the leading kind of, you know, that's, that's where the change comes from, doesn't it? There's a change in legislation. Everyone goes, right, what's going on? You take a step back and then these kind of conversations occur. So can you talk a little bit about legislation changes with regard to food, if you would, Eric? Yes, the, the the selection of materials is governed really by, I suppose, three items of legislation. There's one specifically saying that food contact materials must not contaminate the product. And they must not release their constituents such that it might be harmful to human beings and so on. So you have to be able to demonstrate that your material is not going to release into the food anything that could be harmful or change its composition or taste or smell, you have to demonstrate that. And that applies to metals and non-metals, of course. So that's the first piece of legislation, but it's not new. It's been, it's been in existence for about 30 years, uh, but it's not fully appreciated even now. There's a second piece of legislation, the Machinery Directive, and the Machinery Directive says that when you fabricate a piece of equipment, it must not have crevices or protrusions which can harbour soils and, and trap uh, microorganisms such that they are difficult to, to remove. You've got to be able to drain equipment completely. And the choice of materials is, is critical here because if the process, for instance, involves a, a, a dry powder, that can scratch a soft plastic surface or even an aluminium surface to the point where there are so many scratches and grooves and, and so on that microorganisms can sort of hide, if you like, in the, in the troughs, in these tiny, tiny troughs, and be difficult to remove, where a material like stainless steel is hard and therefore it resists that scratching and therefore it remains cleanable for a lot longer. And the third bit of legislation is the food hygiene regulations, which say the food business operator must maintain the materials to the required standard. So that if the materials do get scratched to the point where you can't clean them, they need to be replaced. And it's up to the food business operator to keep an eye on that. Okay, because I mean, it sounds like you said the first point there. It sounds pretty obvious. Don't contaminate the food. (laughs) Yes, it it might sound obvious. But we've used ceramics for many, many years. But ceramics can release some rather nasty chemicals, lead and cadmium particularly, into into food. Mm. 
We manufactured plastic trays for food for many years, and, and one of the ways of, of making that plastic uh, the right properties a little bit harder is to, is to add bisphenol A in the process. Not a good idea. It's now, it's now condemned because bisphenol A is, a, is an endocrine disruptor. We've just discovered that this is not a good idea. Mm. But people don't realise the implication. They don't, they don't think, well, I wonder if that will release something that it shouldn't uh, until they read the legislation or hopefully come and listen to what we have to set to offer um, and then realise that, that they actually need to get the material tested to make sure that it's, uh, it's not going to release uh, anything that it shouldn't. This podcast is sponsored by the UK Metals Expo, Amron Architectural and Anglo Stainless. For details of all three of our sponsors, take a look at the show notes. But for now, let's get straight back into the pod. Because Mike and I, when, when I was speaking to you, Rob, originally, I remember getting off the phone, immediately phoned Mike and said, look, this is something that's going to be going ahead. And I was saying, look, essentially they want to be pushing more stainless because of its suitability for application in the food sector. And both Mike and I were like, well, surely everything's stainless, just everything. I remember speaking to you and you were like, well, well, well no, no, this just isn't, isn't necessarily the case because when we see these environments, they're almost like clean environments effectively. So what are the kind of materials that are being used that, that are potentially causing, you know, we don't want to bad mouth them, but like where, where are the, the pain points or the problems in the sector that you guys are seeing? And again, why then further should people be looking at stainless to kind of overcome some of these? There are various different areas, I think, that or, or where stainless steel could actually be a preferential. And, and this isn't to say we are the only material that's, that's suitable, but the preferential material. And it is, you know, one of the, the classics is in, you know, there is quite still a lot of plastic pipe work still within uh, food industry production areas and also copper as well and and to be honest copper is a very good product it's very uh, antibacterial however it's quite expensive and it doesn't uh, potentially last quite as well it's more susceptible to uh, uh, to impact damage uh, things like that plastics yes you've got wear issues with plastics certainly and also there are areas where plastics just are not corrosive resistant enough and and like i say you know it's not just what's actually going through the products it's all the cleaning regimes and things like that that should go on around it as well and that can also be where some of the problems lie but it's even down to things like um the interiors of the buildings particularly in the very clean areas a lot of those were tiled and you know you get cracks and damage in tiles you get gaps in the grouting etc if you clad with a stainless steel wall panel, you don't have those problems either. So, you know, you can lose a production area for, for days or even weeks if they end up having to retile or, or do something like that. Whilst if you've got a stainless steel panel, you just take the panel off and chuck another one in. You know, it's a five, well, not a five minute job. I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's a quick. It's a quicker fix and it means you've got less downtime. So there's all sorts of reasons. There's a lovely example of, of, of using stainless steel cladding in, in an application that you would never think necessary. And that was actually to face the front of a loading bay in a food factory. This is where the vehicles back up and then offload. Now, that was brick. And uh, they decided they'd, they'd clad it with stainless steel. And you think, why on earth do you need to do that? And the answer is because mice were able to climb 
the irregular surface of the, of the bricks and get into the factory. It was a way in which rodents were actually getting into the factory. And by facing, facing it with stainless steel, they stopped the problem. Um, I've never heard that before. Nor has Rob. That's definitely how I was a black So uh, you don't always think of the, of the problems. Another one, I think, if you're straying off of the subject of mice, was it was an, an exit chute which came out through the wall of a factory and it was designed just to let everything go out. It was a, sl- it was a slanted tube, if you like. Yeah. And over the end of it was, it was a flap which it was self-closed. It sounds like Bat the Rat at school. Almost, yes. <laughs> uh, and the idea, the idea was that everything could go out, out of this chute, and it lifted the flap as it went past, and the flap dropped back. Yeah. Um, but they then found that, that that area of the factory was suffering rodent infestation. And it was because that tube had been made out of a non-stainless steel, it had rusted, and the flap stuck open oh, okay. instead of dropping back. As it, as it got rusty, it, it didn't operate on its hinge as it should have done. And so mice were saying, thank you very much indeed. So uh, there are wrinkles, innumerable wrinkles. And uh, sometimes some of these, uh, these little, uh, little stories are quite fascinating. Yeah, yeah. No, I completely understand. So for people, because I'm guessing if we look at the target market for this uh, event... Who should be coming along? Ideally, who do you want to be turning up to this event? First of all, food business operators. They need to know that it is only by them defining their, their condition and explaining to their supplier what they need that the supplier can meet that requirement. I would also like to think that actually it's not just people who buy equipment or specify equipment in those businesses, but also maybe even the managing director ought to, ought to know the legislation that he has to ensure that his company complies with. But then obviously the next, next stage is the fabricator of the equipment. They need to say, under these circumstances, this is what I recommend. Or if they don't know, then they come to one of us and, and we talk. And then before that is the raw material supplier who needs to understand why people want a certain kind of steel in a particular form um, and it just helps them to know and and, uh, and for them to be able to liaise with the equipment manufacturer and say well okay well I think together this is probably the best way of going to meet the customer's requirement so it, it's right down the chain yeah okay now obviously I know you guys I've known you for a number of years now so you're both credible with me um, who, uh, as Robbie, yeah. there you go, Rob, <laughs> just about anyway. <laughs> um, if we, um, people are going to want to know who's going to be talking there, who's going to be turning up and who's going to be speaking because there's no point coming down to the Midlands, Warwickshire, in that area, um, if they're not going to get really good value. Um, so who's going to be speaking and what, what are we going to be listening, what are we going to be learning about? Well, the, the, the agenda, we, we, we're working on somewhere in the region of eight speakers. Not everybody is fully confirmed yet, so just to make you aware. You can so. put me on the on the, the list if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Social media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if anyone wants any video content yeah, yeah. <laughs> or staff. <laughs> okay, so the, what the, the, there is a story, and, and we are here to tell a story, and this is the really important thing about this. And we've tried to work the programme to actually give us a a really good strong structure to this. Mm-hmm. So the areas that we're going to cover is, is first of all we're actually going to talk about what constitutes 
uh, a food contact material, and Eric will be opening up the uh, the discussions on that. Great. Um, we'll then be talking about or asking the question: if, Is stainless steel a safe material? For which um, Tony Newson is, is coming to talk about that yeah. uh, for us. We're then going to go on and talk a little bit more about the stainless steel family, which we've already been discussing today. The fact that there aren't just sort of like two or three grades of stainless steel out there. There's there's lots and lots of choice. And and that will be my my good self and Benoit Van Hecke from the uh, Nickel Institute. Great. We then move on to look at, okay, so we understand now what a, a food contact material is. We understand now that stainless steel is a safe material, and we're very happy to say that. And we've talked a bit about the family. So the next thing is, is to look at the design and, and try and make sure that the designs work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then following on from that, we're looking at fabrication. And we have uh, one of our members uh, penciled in there to uh, to come up uh, to, to talk about uh, fabrication. That's um, Andrew Wall from Michelle. Yeah. Um, then we're going to look at... Okay, we've fabricated it, but then we've got to make sure that the surface finishes all comply with the legislation, and there is there is requirements on that. So again, we're going to have one of our another BSA member, Anna Paul, David Cass from there, is going to come and talk about the importance of, of surface finishing. Yeah. Uh, then we move on. We've got the product. We've got it installed. What do we do with it then? So it's the operating and cleaning regimes, which is absolutely critical on that. We, we then go on to talk about the relevant regulations and, and guidelines, which again, Eric will be uh, very much looking at. And then obviously that will have a wrap up, a Q&A session yeah. uh, and, and uh, some, some networking. So, yeah. yes. you know, basically we are planning pretty much a full day's event. You know, we, we aim to start at 10 in the morning and we'll go through until we are finished. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think there's a good... A, good range and depth of speakers and I think the important message is is we're trying to tell a story all the way through and that's an absolutely key uh, message to put across today and also that there's a lot of help out there and there's a lot of help yes well I don't know what to do now I understand I ought to know what to do but I don't know how to do it where do I go for help have we got a price point yet or is that in abeyance at the moment how do people get in contact how do people start registering what what's, what's the process right our price point, well, I'll touch, I'll do the price point first. The price point, we're looking at, it'll be £145 plus VAT, and that will include uh, lunch and uh, refreshments during the course of the day. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as far as contact is concerned, the booking will be through the BSSA. So Kate and myself will will manage all of that. The event will be launched pretty much, well, we, we will co- go out before Christmas, so you can start booking uh, just yes. before Christmas period. Yeah. Yes. And the events, we said the 9th of March, 2023, Correct. which is a Thursday, and we've said it many times now, in Warwick, it's south of Birmingham. It's, it's at the Warwickshire Hotel. Okay, brilliant. One of the points that you mentioned here um, in your your um, your agenda was about the hygienic design of food processing equipment. Obviously, there's a lot of companies that right at the end here, the operation and cleaning are, are you know a lot of spray ball technology. There's a lot of magnetic mixes. There's a lot of things that are going on to like make sure that the design can then be maintained, but. Has there been many changes recently to kind of design? Is this something that's kind of developing much in the in the you know in the hygienic food sector, or are we still using relatively the same kind of tech, 
but you're just kind of like pushing it on to say, look, maybe we need to move away from certain grades to others. What's kind of going on in the world of hygienic design, in, in, in your opinion? A lot. Good. <laughs> well, perhaps a little bit of the history is interesting. The, the EHEDGE, the European Hygienic Engineering and Design Group, was, was formed about 30 years ago. And what happened was that Unilever in the Netherlands found that they were suffering contamination problems in their food process. And there was no deficiency in the cleaning regime, but actually it wasn't fully cleaning all the equipment before it was used again. And so infection was being transferred from one batch to another. And they realized that actually this was down to the design of the equipment. And from that need and discovering that actually their competitors were suffering the same problems, Unilever really pioneered eHedge. Now, in that last 30 years, eHedge has now produced 50, just over 50 guidelines on how to design things hygienically. By the way, hygiene doesn't mean clean and shiny on the outside. Yeah. It means the inside is resistant to the buildup of, of processed soils and it is cleanable, yeah. easily cleaned. Uh, and so a lot of work has been done over the last few years and, and prepared in guidelines written by experts in the field on behalf of eHedge. And they show how you can design equipment to make it cleanable. Uh, and all those guidelines are available either to members of eHedge or for anybody to, to buy. So there's been a lot of work and, and they're continuing to write guidelines on areas where which their members say they, they need some, some, some guidance. What, what are some of those kind of... Um things that might be exciting you, how things are pushing forward? Because obviously we're always trying to get to a state where we're doing things as well as we can. There's always, you know, there's constantly room for improvement everywhere. But where, where do you see the, the design work going? You're saying there's been 50 designs here by Unilever, but where, where what, are the, what are the next steps in, in your opinion? Well, there are 50 guidelines by eHedge, which yeah. was pioneered by Unilever. Unilever is a major player yeah, in eHedge, of course, as, as are most of the big food companies and most of the big food equipment manufacturers as well. But the, 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 the guidelines have been, have been written where it was seen, there was seen to be a need. And there is, for instance, a guideline on the hygienic welding of stainless steel to meet the, the, uh, the legislation. Uh, but also the design of homogenizers and, and mixed-proof valves and all complicated stuff like that. Mm. But one of the, the latest guidelines, number 45, is cleaning validation and verification in the, in the food industry. Mm. Because it, your equipment may not be designed to the latest, most, you know, uh, most sophisticated engineering standards. But the point is, is it clean before you use it a second time? And so he had just written a guideline on how to how to derive, how to determine, how to just construct, if you like, a cleaning regime which is capable of cleaning your equipment, however old it might be, however inexpertly in, in it's been designed. I, uh, can, uh, can you design uh, a cleaning regime which will clean uh, that process? And then it moves on to say, and how do you check that it's continuing to do it? So eHedge is, is not concerned not just about the design, but also the effect of the design. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, this is uh, the 45, I think, came out last year. So this is relatively new, but very, very important. It's uh, well overdue. Is there, um, are we going to be touching on part of this within the, um, 
within the event then in March as well again about design so yes hygienic that... design is is on the agenda okay and where is that something that you're going to be touching on Eric or is that uh, probably else? not uh, one of my colleagues because I, I've got two little pieces to do and, and uh, yeah we can't do it all can we Eric <laughs> you can have too much of a good thing <laughs> yeah. no one of my colleagues in in E-Hedge E-Hedge has a a regional section in the UK and Ireland it'll be one of my colleagues from that okay um what I'd like to... Uh, we, we've spoken about who should attend, who's there. What I just wanted to finish with today, because I really appreciate it, I wanted to keep this like as a, a relatively a, a short here, and maybe finish with yourself, Rob. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not 100% sure if this event will run just as a one-off or it will become something that might be an annual, biannual, something like that going forward. But again, in a nutshell, why should people care? Why should people be bothered about turning up to this event. I know it sounds blunt, but I'm just I'm just trying to just get to the point of like, why should people come down? Who should be interested in this event? Well, I think Eric has already sort of like expressed. We think that anybody really within the stainless steel industry and certainly within the food processing part of the stainless steel industry should be interested in coming down here. There are the main reason is is people need to be aware of what they are required to do legally especially in this time of increased litigation and that is an you know that's a big problem because you know nobody wins in litigation apart from lawyers you know no offense to any lawyers that are involved <laughs> but you know what we want is we want to ensure that people are getting the best machinery the best equipment that they can have at the best and most effective price to give them the best results they can have. You know, this is what it's all about. So it's it's education, it's learning, it's awareness, and helping people get the most from their equipment, from the most of the uh, the products that they're uh, producing. Great. Well, look, thanks for joining us. Good luck with this first event. I hope it's a roaring success, obviously. Um, we'll be down there on the day doing a bit of filming. And for anyone watching, and seeing this on video, it's November, so this is why Rob is currently growing a huge amount of beard. <laughs> but yeah, thanks for joining us, guys. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. So thanks for taking a listen to this bonus edition of the Metal Guys Tour Business for Season 2. We hope to see you at the event on the 9th of March this year. Um, and we just finally wanted to say a big thanks to our sponsors for the podcast. That's the UK Metals Expo, Amron Architectural and Anglo Stainless. Thanks for listening.